Welcome to Two Movie Guys, two Texas critics talking about the movies. And now, here's Sean and Joe, Two Movie Guys. Hey, everybody, welcome to Two Movie Guys talking about movies. I'm Sean McBride, and I'm here once again with my good friend, Joe Fryer. Joe, how's your week going for you? It's going great. Lots of Sundance films and a couple of films that are dumped in January after uh, award season that we need to get to today, Sean, as well. Yeah, there are there are. It's a weird week because there are some new movies, but really aren't any big new movies out this week. But uh, let's uh, let's give you the big rundown here of new movies. This week's new movies. And the big one this week. Well, I mean, I will say that Godzilla minus one minus color is released into theaters. That is Godzilla Minus One, which is a fabulous movie. If you haven't seen that, certainly go see it. But they did it in black and white. The director said he thought it was scarier in black and white. Okay, sure, but it is the same movie. If you've seen it, if you loved it in color, you may want to see it in black and white, but otherwise it's the exact same movie. There's a film called A Beautiful Wedding that's opening up. And basically this is a sequel to Beautiful Disaster. Uh, if you are a fan of Dylan Sprouse of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, he made a movie and now there's a sequel. Not screen for critics and quite frankly, I didn't see this one either. So I can't tell you much about it. The Big Picture. I'm Jason, two J's Jennings. I was a football legend. But once you reach the mountaintop of greatness, everybody wants to see you fall. You pled guilty to charges of speeding and damage to city property. I'm recommending community service with the Long Beach Recreations Department. I thought I was getting like some Martha Stewart kind of treatment. The one I have seen this week uh, is over on Amazon and it's called The Underdogs. And basically this is Snoop Doggy plays a former NFL player and he gets in trouble with the law and he sends to community service. He sees a bunch of peewee football players and he says, well, maybe I'll help these kids out for my community service, but also because one of the mamas is kind of hot and she's played by Tika Sumter. And basically he, you know, he learns from the kids, the kids learn from him. They actually reference in the movie, hey, this sounds a lot like the Mighty Ducks except for a football version. And uh, that's exactly what it is. It's the Mighty Ducks except for it's the football version. I think it's kind of fun because I like Snoop Dogg. He's very charismatic. It's Mike X. He's funny. It's Tika Sumter. She's good. But here's my thing. He is very profane. Before the movie starts, there's a title card that says, look, I know it's rated R. It kind of feels like a kid's movie, but don't worry. Your kids are swearing like this. I'm not sure about this. I think a lot of parents might see this if they're not listening to the trailer. They may think, oh, let's grab the family. No, this is one of the most profane movies, nonstop F-bombs all the way through there. Plus the kids get drunk, so just parents beware. But I actually thought it was kind of cute. I enjoyed it. I, like I said, I think the actors are are quite charismatic and it's a, it's a standard, pretty good story genre. So anyway, so that's the underdogs playing on home streaming over on Amazon Prime. You know, now, I'm waiting for uh, Snoop Dogg to come out with a Bad News Bears version yeah. of a baseball movie there. I think it would be the Bad News Bears swear with <laughs> the bad news swears yeah. or the bad news uh swearing bears or something okay. like that and, you know that's interesting because he did actually start a football league in california he's done a lot of good charity work with that but um this one like i say it's kind of a mix i, I liked it but mm, you know not great if you're trying to bring your kids right. into that we were mentioning that there are a lot of smaller movies that are trying to expand this week and uh, i understand uh joe you got a bunch of those you want to talk about yeah, that's right. It seems weird because as I was reviewing films this week, I didn't notice until I got to the third one that we've got a theme of teachers, 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 teachers. I've got three 
teachers movies here in front of me, Sean, to talk about today. <laughs> nice. What's the first we're one? We're going to start. Well, okay, we're going to start with the first one. It's called Cold Copy, which is uh, out today, limited release in theaters. Now, it's about a journalism student named Mia, played by Belle Howley, who takes a class taught by investigative journalist Diane, played by Tracy Ellis Ross, who hosts a television show called The Night Report. So Diane is ruthless. She's cutthroat. She has it out for Mia from the beginning because she believes that Mia, the naive student, doesn't have what it takes to be a journalist. Mia, of course, sets out to prove her wrong by writing and producing a story about a teenager named Igor, played by Jacob Tremblay whose mother was a famous children's book author that passed away. Well, Mia gets the idea for the story after Igor saves her from a would-be rapist while taking a stroll in the evening. Igor is a talented artist, which is a focus of Mia's story, but when she presents it to Diane, Diane thinks it's weak. So the young student begins to explore the death of uh, Igor's mother, uh, going behind his back to create a narrative that blurs the truth in the hope that Diane will air her segment on her show, The Night Report. <laughs> That's the premise for the whole movie. So let me tell you, Sean, you know, there are no characters in the film with any redeeming qualities whatsoever. And, uh, you know, Diane believes journalism- as someone who works in TV journalism myself, I mean, all TV journalists are perfect and good, right, Joe? <laughs> well, it depends on what network you're watching, I guess. But, you know, Diane believes that journalism isn't a vocation. She calls it a persona. Sadly, there is some truth to that statement. But if Diane is trying to shape Mia to be the next Fox News correspondent, that's obviously never going to happen because she's just not that good. And so then Diane comes off as just being a bully. You know, suddenly halfway through the film, she begins to befriend Mia by asking her out for drinks and giving her a job as an intern on the night report. And then Mia's story arc has her going from the desire to be an investigative journalist to throwing ethics right out the window while betraying those closest to her, including her roommate. Um, now, Ross has some interesting moments as she manipulates Mia, but none of Mia's actions make any sense, nor are they believable. Jacob Tremblay, who showed the most promise as a troubled and bullied teenager, Igor, falls victim to writer-director Roxine Helberg's screenplay as his character makes dumb choices like trusting Mia after avoiding the invasive meter, uh, media after his mother passed away. So none of it is believable. The actors are better than the source material. And I would say avoid this film. Yeah, it sounds like it. There's a... Now, the other one that's opening up, I know you got the Miller Girl, right? Miller's Girl? Yeah, that's... Miller's Girl is uh, just as silly as the first movie. Um <laughs> So Miller's Girl is the debut feature from writer-director Jade uh, Halle Bartlett. Now, it stars Jenna Ortega, we know as from Wednesday. as uh, She's playing a seductive high school student named, are you ready for this? Hyro Sweet. Okay. Okay. She's a seductive high school student named Cairo Sweet, who sets her sights on her English lit teacher, Jonathan Miller, played by Martin Freeman who is impressed with her writing ability. Now, you know, it's set in the South. He's a published author who gave up writing to teach. And she's a trust fund baby living in a large plant uh, mansion while her parents are abroad. Now, Gideon uh, Adlon plays her best friend, Winnie, who's also a bit of a seductress. She has her eye on the coach uh, in, the, in the high school there. 
Um, and then probably I would say the best part of this whole movie is uh, Dagmara Dominus Sizik, uh, who plays Miller's wife, B. Now, she is uh, Miller's wife, who's also a writer, and she's always intoxicated. She's barely dressed. She's like a Tennessee Williams caricature, uh -huh. who unfortunately is the most believable person in this whole movie. <laughs> now, let me tell you, Sean, it's a wordy film. Every character takes themselves way too seriously. Uh, once uh, Miller compliments Cairo on her writing ability, she begins flirting with him, and he asks her to join him at a poetry club meeting, and there they smoke cigarettes together. What? I can't Yes. <laughs> now the flirtation escalates as she stays after class for a meeting with the teacher in which she recites part of his book from memory because she's one of the few people that's actually read it. And then he retaliates by reciting one of her poems that he's memorized that she turned into class. Well, we can see where this is going almost as the whole thing derails when Miller gets turned on by one of her writing assignments which he reads in private in a shed out back. Yeah. And then I'm not going to tell you what he does, Sean, while he's in the shed reading her poetry, but you can just use your imagination. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, there's no sexual tension whatsoever between Freeman and Ortega. And the more they try to convince you otherwise, the more you want to scream. See yeah. what I did? And uh, I make that happen also because she looks like she's 14 and he's obviously a 40-something-year-old, maybe 15. Yeah. It's creepy. It's like a father-daughter relationship. So she's trying to seduce him. Um, and, you know, the whole thing derails. Um, I was hoping that, uh, you know, Freeman would quote Bilbo Baggins with the line, we do not want any adventures here. Thank you. Not today. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. The whole thing is a hot mess. And uh, I say avoid that film, too. That's too bad. You know, it's interesting. You have these movies and you take a, a you take a runner on some of these young stars, Jacob Elordi, uh, Jenna Ortega, and you put them out there because they have fans who will watch them and they don't always have to be good to make money. But anyway, I am happy to report, though, that there is one that's really good in theaters this week, staying with your teacher's theme. It's called The Teacher's Lounge. Uh, I think this is a very good film. When I was coming up with my list of the best Academy Award uh, foreign language films, international features here, you know, there were like six of them that all all six of them could have made my top 10 list. And Teacher's Lounge was right up there for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, this is the best of the bunch when it comes to teachers. Actually, you know, it was released a little bit earlier for awards consideration. And now it's officially in theaters. This is Germany's submission to the Oscars for uh, it was for the best international film. So it stars Leonie Benesch. As a first-year sports and math high school teacher, Carla, who turns out to be an advocate for student rights. Now, when a rash of thefts at school lead to a pop-up inspection where the boys in Carla's class are asked to let administrators search their wallets, Carla informs them that they don't have to go along with it. But the principal reminds them that if they have nothing to hide, then there shouldn't be a problem. Carla becomes more outraged when the school's zero tolerance policy implicates a student who had a large amount of money in his wallet, which was given to him by his parents, and then the race card suddenly becomes a factor. The student is Turkish. And then when Carla suspects a member of the faculty is actually responsible for the thefts, not a student, she sets up her own sting operation by leaving her wallet in the teacher's lounge with her laptop, which is secretly recording. She captures the blouse of an office staffer going through her jacket, the arm of it, um, whose son happens to be 
Carla's brightest and quietest student, Oscar. So the officer, uh, the office staffer is suspended. She claims she's innocent. Oscar becomes ostracized by his classmates and Carla gets called out for breaking a bunch of HR rules by recording when the teachers didn't know she was doing that. So she gets in way overhead. Now this movie though, is great at building tension oh, yeah. from the go to the last frame. The tension just builds. Um, Carla gets in way over her head while trying to right all the wrongs. Uh, this results in the student body and some of the teachers turning against her. So I think the tension is unyielding. I think Leone uh, Banesh is first rate as Carla. And the film, directed by two directors, Ilker Katak and Johannes Dunker, features themes of what do we have? Cancel culture. We got racism. And the young cast of students are exceptional, especially Leonard Stetenish as Oscar. So yeah. good intention, Sean. Get you nowhere these days. I say it's a must-see film, and it leaves you on the edge of your seat. What did you think? I'm I'm right with, there with you. I thought it was a good thing, and I loved how you know she's well-meaning, and she's just trying. She believes in her students. She wants her students to succeed, and she doesn't understand how her actions are going to affect everyone. And then it's the uh, you know the uh, domino effect that happens there. But I liked it, and I loved the tension between her and this kid that she genuinely wants to help. She loves this kid, and this kid comes at loggerheads with him because now she's going after his mother. That's a great little tense moment there. So I think this is very good. Like I said, it's in theaters now. I think it's going to be on HBO Max next month if you can't get somewhere where there's a where it's in theaters. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. Really good movie. Certainly one of the best foreign language films of the year. Awards Watch. Now, uh, let's talk about Oscar surprises and more or less snubs. Yeah, Oscars, it's time for our Awards Watch. So, so listen, Oscar nominations came out on Tuesday. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think there were a whole lot of surprises other than the big one that everyone's talked about. What happened to Barbie, the director, and to Margot Robbie as the leading actress? Um, I think it is important to note, look, they were both nominated in other categories. And the Academy has never been really a group that will embrace um, comedies and, and populist films, so like that. So I don't think that was really that big a surprise. Um, my biggest surprise is the inclusion of, I, I'd heard that Zone of Interest was tracking very well, but that also Anatomy of a Fall did so well as well. You have two foreign, we actually have three foreign language films this year, Zone of Interest, Anatomy of a Fall, and also uh, Past Lives. I think it's wonderful. It's interesting, the Oscars, uh, as did a couple of other critics group, they made an attempt to go out and find other people from various other communities, uh, languages, uh, you know, foreign countries. And you can tell that's happening because this year, three films, not in English. Um, two of them have a lot of English in them, but uh, really good films. I I thought that was a wonderful, a wonderful surprise. What about you? Now, Do you have surprises? Well, Okay, you know, Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for Best Director for Barbie. However, Justine Trite was for Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. So I think some people are saying that Justine took Greta Gerwig's Oscar uh, chance. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I thought Greta Gerwig was going to get nominated. Uh, I was also a bit surprised that Margot Robbie wasn't nominated for Best Actress for Barbie. Uh, but also, you know, America Ferrara was nominated for Barbie. So that was kind of a nice surprise there. Yeah, true. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's enough people who recognize the backlash 
to um, in particular Gerwig not getting nominated that I think that helps her in the in the screenplay award that she is nominated for so now I kind of think she may win that award just for people saying okay we need to write this wrong and the academy has always been good at like spreading the wealth and making as many people feel happy as as possible yeah absolutely and I, I was happy that Sandra Hewler was nominated for Anatomy of a Fall. I mean, she is terrific in that movie. And I was very happy by the Best Director nominee for that film as well, Best Picture nominee as well. One film that I really liked, Sean, this past year, it was one of my favorite films of the year that didn't get anything. It was pretty much shut out. And I was very surprised by that, was All of Us Strangers. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought that was uh, Andrew Haig's uh, film. It was terrific. And uh, even thought that maybe Andrew Scott would have got a nomination, but that is definitely one of my favorite films from last year. You know, a lot of people thought that might be a possibility, but the BAFTA Awards came out, the British Academy of Film and Television, the BAFTA Awards. Um, and when All of Us Strangers wasn't nominated at the BAFTAs, people said, okay, it did not connect with people. But I agree with you, Andrew Scott was very good in that film. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of my favorite films of last year, so I was surprised. I know leading into the, uh, into um, you know, the award season and, and up to the Oscar nominations, there seemed to be a buzz for a while about Rosamund Pike being nominated for her role in Saltburn. She was funny in that movie. And so for a second, I thought maybe she may. And then I thought also Emerald uh, Fennel maybe would get a nomination for her screenplay as well. Yeah, Saltburn got blanked, and that's kind of fascinating because it was a pretty high-profile movie that had certainly had hopes of Oscar glory, but uh, apparently people do not like uh, some of the elements and the scenes in that film. I, I can certainly understand why it may have turned some Oscar voters off. So, I was uh, I saw that in the UK. I think it was a subway poster for the film. I haven't seen this poster in the United States, but over in the UK, it was very funny. Uh, in one of their subway things, they had a poster for Saltburn, and the only thing on the poster was water going down a drain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyone who's anyone yeah. who seen the film knows what we're talking about. So it was very funny. Well, in some, uh, there are some clubs in Los Angeles in particular where you can buy a, a bathwater cocktail. Um, <laughs> anyway. I, I don't think, you know, the interesting thing to me, I think, here is that we thought we had some front runners. Uh, certainly, Killian Murphy is front runner for the for the actor, and I think Paul Giamatti is sneaking up on him because he's been winning some awards and getting you know better nominations than we thought it was going to be. And the um, you know the other ones, some of them are pretty straightforward. I would be very surprised if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't win supporting actor, if Davine Joy Randolph doesn't win supporting actress for uh, that would be for Oppenheimer and The Holdovers respectively. But I also feel that Lily Gladstone, who was nominated for um, for the Best Actress for Killers of Flower Moon, I'm starting to see that Emma Stone is sneaking up on her. What do you think about that? Uh, I think Emma Stone has a really great shot. Uh, you know, in the race for Best Actor, I'm going to go ahead and say that Paul Giamatti is going to win. Okay. I think it will be Killian Murphy. All right. now, now, this could turn out to be a whole Oppenheimer sweep, but uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Paul Giamatti. I'm always good at betting for the person that I like, not who I really think is going to win. And I'm sure down the line, we'll do an Oscar prediction podcast. But I just want to say right now, it's Paul Giamatti all the way for me. Okay, I'm with you. Paul I love Murphy that. Was great, though. 
You and I both love the holdovers, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, very quickly, because Oscars, like you say, we'll get to that um, as we get a little closer. But the other awards that came out, the ones that everyone is talking about, that would be the Houston Film Critics. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's one of the organizations that both Joe and I belong to. Um, and we gave Poor Things the best film of the year, um, which is fascinating to me. It was very tight between Poor Things and Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer. I mean, they were, and The Holdovers. It was a really tight race. Uh, we gave, I mean, Christopher Nolan got the thing there, but we did give Paul Giamatti the best actor. We did give Emma Stone the best actress award there. So certainly in Houston, we love Poor Things and we love The Holdovers. Yes, but you know, another thing that uh, we in the Houston Film uh, Critics Society, uh, we gave the best documentary feature award to still a Michael J. Fox movie. I couldn't believe that did not get nominated for an Oscar. Same with uh, American Symphony, which I thought was a great populist documentary over on Netflix, and that didn't get nominated for an Oscar either. So the docs are a little weird this year, to be quite honest. Yeah, and one thing also that I wanted to uh, mention, I was very happy that the Houston Film Critics Society gave uh, or nominated uh, or actually gave the award to Robbie Robertson for the Killers of the Flower Moon score. You know, Robbie Robertson was a great musician. He did a tremendous job on the score of Killers of the Flower Moon, and I'm glad that we recognized that. And also, I do want to make one side note. As uh, Sean knows, every year, the Houston Film Critics Society, we give out a Texas Independent Film Award, uh, which is an award that goes to a filmmaker who shot a film here in the state of Texas. And uh, this year's award went to the film Chocolate Lizards, which was picked up by Roadside Attractions. And then immediately they changed their name. So don't look yeah. for Chocolate Lizard. It's, uh, was it False Tensive? Was it New Texan or something like that? I believe, I believe they renamed it Accidental Texan. That's it, Accidental Texan. So I actually thought that was a sweet movie. I, I watched all the uh, nominees. I was on the TIFA Award nominating committee. Not all of those films were great. <laughs> so, But uh, there were some fun ones, some very good ones. And uh, that was I was thrilled that that was the one that most people, you know, uh, liked the best. So. Okay, Joe. Uh, so Oscar's coming and not a lot of theaters next this week, but next week things are going to get a little better. We do have Argyle coming out, which uh, looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. That's the big one out next week. Anything else you're looking forward to? Uh, I've got a bunch of Sundance movies that uh, I'm going to be screening this weekend. So maybe next week on the show, we can talk about some of those. Sundance just announced the uh, award winners. But there are also a lot of good films that, you know, didn't necessarily win an award. Uh, but we'll maybe touch upon those next week uh, on the podcast. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to that. So, okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed it. We will get back with you next week and we'll talk about Argyle, Sundance and whatever else strikes our fancy. Thanks for talking with me, Joe. Thanks, Sean. Have a good week. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe and join us again next week for Two Movie Guys.